Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I'm flying solo for today's episode, which is my fault. I enjoyed the international break a little bit too much, so I was a bit late to reach out to some potential guests to preview the Milan match, and they just did not get back to me on time. I suspect some Milanisti aren't terribly excited to come onto a Napoli podcast given how the season has gone so far, but we've got a few games against Milan coming up, so I'm sure I'll be able to get a guest on ahead of the Champions League tie. In the meantime, you're stuck with me for this preview, but I will do my best to set the stage for what I think will be the marquee match of the 28th round of the Serie A campaign. Inter-Fiorentina is another good match given the form that Fiorentina have been in of late, but that match is on Saturday, so they're certainly the two marquee matches of the round. Even though Milan come into this match 23 points behind us in the table, it's still a very intriguing fixture for a number of reasons. First, Both of these clubs will be highly motivated to get a result. I think one thing we have to give Luciano Spalletti a ton of credit for is keeping Napoli focused on the task at hand. We could have very easily dropped points against clubs like Roma, Sassuolo, and Atalanta had we gotten a little complacent, but we won all of those matches. I fully expect Spalletti to have his players mentally and physically prepared for this match as well, of course. That in itself is no guarantee that you will get a result, but I can say with confidence that if we don't get a result in this match, it won't be because we were complacent. I think the biggest motivator for Napoli at the moment is winning the league as soon as possible. As Patrick Hendrick noted on Twitter, that's why Spalletti has rolled with his best starting 11 week in, week out, regardless of the opponent. It also helps that we've had a couple of stretches where we only played once a week, so there was really no need to rotate too many players. With the Champions League rolling around in about two weeks' time, I suspect we'll see a bit more rotation then. If we can manage to win this match, and then you assume we also beat Lecce, the magic number would be down to 3 heading into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Of course, no results are guaranteed. It certainly won't be easy to beat Milan, even at the Maradona, But if we win these next two matches, 
then I think we really can afford to shift our focus and prioritize the Champions League ahead of Serie A. Just looking at the fixture list, there are enough gimmies there that even if we don't beat clubs like Juve or Inter or Fiorentina even, we should coast quite comfortably to the league title. On the other side of this match, Milan have plenty of motivation as well. First and foremost, they are smack dab in the middle of a very intense race for Champions League qualification. Milan are currently in the 4th and final Champions League position, 4 points behind Lazio and 2 points behind Inter. However, they've got 2 clubs hot on their heels, Roma are in 5th, only 1 point behind Milan, and Atalanta are in 6th, only 3 points behind Milan. Atalanta are just playing as I record, and they are beating Cremonese, so they could well be ahead of Milan by the time we play our match on Sunday. Even Juventus are not far behind with 41 points or 7 points behind Milan, and that's with a 15-point deduction. If Juve get their point deduction reversed, which seems quite possible, maybe even quite likely at the moment, then Juve would automatically shoot up to second in the table, and Milan would be bumped down a further position. That would be really problematic for Milan given Inter and Lazio's run-ins, though both of those clubs have dropped points, to clubs you wouldn't expect them to. Lazio are in a very strong position considering they are only competing in one competition. That's where Sadi really excels, particularly when he doesn't have the squad depth to compete on multiple fronts. Milan and Inter on the other hand are both still in the Champions League and Inter are also still alive in the Coppa Italia. Of course, Milan haven't been very consistent themselves, far from it. They've actually been pretty dreadful in the Girona di Ritorno, they had a stretch in January and early February where they went winless in 7 matches in all competitions. They tied Roma, they lost to Torino in the Coppa Italia, tied Lecce in the league, lost to Inter in the Supercoppa, and then lost 3 straight in the league to Lazio, Sassuolo, and then again to Inter. They seem to have found their form after that, winning 4 straight in all competitions. They beat Torino in the league, they beat Tottenham in the Champions League, and then Monza and Atalanta in the league as well. But then Milan didn't win a single match in March. Now obviously there weren't that many matches in March because of the international break, but they started the month with a loss to Fiorentina, then they tied Tottenham in the second leg of their Champions League tie, which actually was a very positive result because they won the first leg and that's what allowed them to advance to the quarterfinals, but then they also tied Salernitana and lost to Udinese before the start of the international break. Another motivating factor for Stefano Pioli and his team will surely be the first meeting between these two clubs. Napoli won the match 2-1, but I think most people would agree that Milan were the better side on the day. The stats certainly validated that. Milan had an XG of 2.6 to our 1.4. That's the highest XG we've conceded to an opponent all season. It was probably the only match this season where our opponent had more of the ball, completed more passes, and attempted more shots than we did. All of those categories were very close, but technically Milan won them all. I believe the only other match where we lost in all of those categories was the return leg against Liverpool in the Champions League group stage. For a while, it seemed like Stefano Pioli couldn't help but mention that Milan were the better side in that match in just about every press conference he gave. He even said it again in the pre-match Conferenza Stampa on Saturday, I get showing confidence in your team, but it got to a point where it almost seemed like he was a little bit on tilt, like he couldn't shake off that defeat. Ultimately, 
that result wouldn't have mattered a whole lot because Milan have dropped way too many points this season. Now, maybe had they won that match, things might have changed, but I guess we'll never know. Finally, both teams will be motivated for this match because it will be the first of three meetings between these clubs in the span of only three weeks. Of course, this is the return fixture in the league, and then we have the two legs in our Champions League quarterfinal tie. Both sides will want to win this match from a psychological standpoint. If Napoli win, then we go into the Champions League tie with two wins over Milan already this season. That might put some added pressure on Milan knowing that they've struggled to get results against us, even if they did deserve a better result earlier this season. On the other hand, if Milan win this match, then that might create a little bit of doubt for Napoli knowing we're playing against an opponent who has already beaten us once this season. In either case, I'm very excited to see how these two managers adjust tactically, both within these matches and in between them. Now, going back to Milan's 7-match winless streak, the way Pioli stopped the bleeding after that run was by switching to a back 3, which is the classic coaching move. Whenever you're struggling, the first thing you do is shore up the defense, get the back line in order. Milan conceded 18 goals over that 7-match run, which is nearly 3 goals per match. That is far too high for a club like Milan. After that tactical change, which took a match to adjust to, Milan recorded 4 consecutive clean sheets. Now, there's some speculation that Pioli could return to a back 4 for this match against Napoli, but I'm not terribly convinced that he will. Even though Milan haven't won in their last 4 matches, Defensively, they were still quite solid. They conceded three against Udinese, which wasn't great, but they only conceded three goals combined in the other three matches. Now, one of the reasons that Pioli might revert to the back four is because Pierre Kalulu suffered a calf injury playing with France's U21 team during the international break. If he sticks with a back three, then he has to play someone like Simon Kier or Matteo Gabbia as the third center back, which I think it's fair to say, given their ages and their current form, would be a downgrade. Switching to a back four would solve that problem because he would only need two center backs, which he has in Tia and Tamori. The problem with that is Pioli doesn't really have any good options as right back. Davide Calabrias had a very difficult season. He started the season as the club captain, but then he had a setback with a thigh injury, and since returning from the injury, he's really struggled to find his form. The other options aren't great either. Serginho Dest has been in and out of the lineup with various minor injuries, and Alessandro Florenzi only recently returned from a hamstring injury that caused him to miss most of the season. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Luciano Spalletti will line up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal. Meret might be wearing an Osimen style mask for the match after he was involved in a collision with one of our defenders. I can't remember which one in the Torino match. He's been wearing the mask in training, so we'll have to see if he wears it during the match as well. I hope he's recovered well enough to not have to wear the mask. I feel like it could be an even greater distraction for a goalkeeper than it might be for a striker like Osimen. Amir Rachmani and Kim Min-jae will start as the center-back pairing. It seems like Kim has settled the drama surrounding the Korean national team. For those of you who might have missed this story, Kim was a little bit frustrated after South Korea's friendly against Uruguay during the international break, and he was a little bit short with the media who had been peppering him all week with questions about possible transfers. 
He said he's mentally exhausted, and right now he just wants to focus on Napoli. So naturally, the media suggested that Kim was hinting at a possible retirement from international football, which I thought was pretty ridiculous. I think his comments were perfectly understandable, and I think his feelings were perfectly understandable. Now, I get it, he's a professional athlete, but it's not like he said something vulgar or insulting or anything like that. There were some journalists, including here in Toronto, who said he must play through the exhaustion for his country. I responded to one of those journalists to say that his comments were absolute nonsense because they absolutely were. These guys have been playing non-stop football for a really long time now. International breaks are no longer a break for top players. They're traveling all over the place. They're constantly playing. Kim injured his calf and still played through the injury for South Korea at the World Cup. South Korea had two friendly matches during this recent international break, and Kim still played the full 90 minutes in both matches, which were only four days apart. Now, I get that South Korea have a new coach in Jurgen Klinsmann, but was it really necessary for Kim to play the full 90 minutes in both of those matches? Personally, I thought that was rather irresponsible. I wonder what these same people would have said had Kim sustained a serious injury or even re-aggravated his calf injury during one of these friendly matches. Other national teams were more responsible with their players. Georgia rested Kavadskhelia for their friendly against Mongolia, so he only played in their Euro qualifier against Norway. Likewise, Mexico rested Lozano for their CONCACAF Nations League match against Suriname, so he could play three days later against Jamaica. And those matches were both meaningful matches, so I completely understand why Kim might have been frustrated having to play the full 90 minutes in two friendlies when he was clearly not 100% fit, both mentally and physically. Now, the drama only got worse when it was reported that Kim and Hung Min Sun stopped following each other on Instagram, but it seems like they hashed it out the next day and followed each other again. Kim also issued an apology on Instagram for his comments, which personally I didn't think he needed to do, but hey, to each his own. He did seem quite happy to be back in training with Napoli, so hopefully he is in a good psychological state now. Back to our starting lineups, Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back and I think we'll see Mario Rui play at left back. Personally, I think Mario Rui is a better matchup for this particular match with Brahim Diaz and Alexis Salamakers on Milan's right side. And he can get forward to cross the ball into the area to Giovanni Simeone, which is how we scored the winner against Milan in the first meeting. In the midfield, we'll see our usual trio of Stanislav Lobotka and Regista with Piotr Zelinski to his left and Andrei Frank Zombo and Gisa to his right. Up top, we'll definitely see Chavicha Kvarskhelia on the left wing, and I think we'll see Chucky Lozano on the right wing. I was a little bit on the fence between Lozano and Politano, which is pretty much the case every match, because they both seem to have found their form at the same time. But with the news of Osimen's injury, which I'll get to in a second, I think it makes sense to put Lozano in the starting 11 so that we still have some pace up top. Finally, with that Osimen injury, Giovanni Simeone is almost certain to start at striker Spalletti confirmed that Raspadori will start the match on the bench. Raspadori has recovered from his thigh injury, but he's going to need some time to get back into form after missing about a month and a half with that injury. Hopefully Raspadori will get 10 to 15 minutes at the end of the match, but I'm not expecting much more than that. For Milan, given what I mentioned earlier, I think we'll see Stefano Pioli stick with the 3-4-2-1 formation 
with Magic Mike Magnon in goal. I think we'll see Simon Kyer come into the starting 11 to take the place of Pierre Kalulu. Kyer seems to have lost a step since he suffered that ACL injury last season, but that shouldn't be a huge issue with Simeone starting over Osimhen. Obviously, Simeone does not have the same pace that Osimhen does. I'm also leaning towards three at the back because with the wingbacks, it becomes a back five, which will allow Milan to double-team Cavara when he is on the ball. I think that's a much safer play than having an out-of-form Calabria defend Cavara on his own on that side of the park. In the midfield, I think we'll see Sandro Tonali and Ishmael Benacer in the middle with Teo Hernandez on the left and Alex Salamakers on the right. Up top, I think we'll see Rafael Leao and Brahim Diaz as the two trequartisti behind Olivier Giroud who returns from his yellow card suspension. Zlatan Ibrahimovic covered for Giroud while he was suspended, but Zlatan has since picked up another injury so he is expected to be sidelined for about a month. So those are the starting lineups, next let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is probably the most obvious one and that is El Cholito Giovanni Simeone. Simeone is finally going to get another opportunity to play some meaningful minutes. So the last time he played meaningful minutes was the first time Osimhen got hurt this season. I'm sure everyone knows by now, but we learned on Friday from the club's training report that Victor suffered a muscle injury that will keep him out of the squad for about two to three weeks. It wasn't clear if the injury was sustained in training or if it happened before he returned. All the report said was that Victor felt discomfort in his leg after returning from international duty, so they did some tests and the results showed a lesion in his left adductor muscle. The big story before we learned about the injury was that Victor lost his lucky mask in Nigeria, so if you're superstitious, you might say that it was no surprise that Victor immediately got hurt after that. Personally, I think that was a mere coincidence. If anything, my concern was whether we somehow contributed to this injury by overexerting Victor, which is something I tweeted about. The responses to that tweet were very wide-ranging from complete agreement to complete disagreement and everything in between. Shout out to all of those who responded to that one, by the way. As it turns out, you can have a civilized discussion with people on social media, even if you have differences of opinion. Now, of course, with my tweet, I was suggesting that we've played Osimhen more than we needed to. I went back and looked at this, and it's clear to me that we've needlessly overexerted him. Since he returned from his thigh injury... On 10 separate occasions, we've played Osimhen for over 80 minutes when we had a two-goal lead or better. Now, there are a number of reasons why we might have done that, many of which were pointed out in the comments on the tweet. In three of those matches against Sassuolo, Spezia, and Torino, he was on a hat-trick, so you can appreciate why Spalletti left him in a bit longer. Unless you're Erling Haaland, hat-tricks don't happen often, so on the odd occasion where a player has the opportunity, it's pretty normal to leave him out there. That was the point made by Sam Lanz. Our friend and regular guest Chris Kaiser pointed out that Victor himself wants to stay on the pitch. I have no doubt in my mind about that. We saw how upset he was to be taken out of the Atalanta match. So there's a delicate balance to be struck there for the coaching staff between protecting their star player and keeping him happy. Chris also pointed out that there's an incentive for the club to play him because the more he scores, the higher his value will be on the Mercato. 
Michael Giamatteo pointed out that this has to be on the training staff. Spalletti has commented on his staff before, so I'm inclined to think that all tests suggested that he was physically capable of playing close to 90 minutes week in, week out. The handle My Name is Lane blamed Osimen himself, and to a degree, I can understand that. Osimen is fearless when he plays, and he plays with great intensity, which are great qualities, but that does also make him a bit more susceptible to injury. Now, I think that's just his competitive nature, which means it will probably be very difficult for him to change that, or perhaps that's the next stage in his maturation as a player. He's already matured significantly in the last season or two. Right now, he's still quite young. He's still only 24 years old, which is another reason in itself why he can play longer minutes. But I think as he gets older, he'll learn to be better at self-preservation. The extreme example of what that looks like is basically what Messi and Ronaldo do now. They spend most of their time walking around the pitch so that when the ball does come to them, they have the energy to make a run. Finally, Tony pointed me to an article by Football Italia, which itself pointed to an article by Tutto Mercato Web, and that article described what can cause this type of injury. It said, indirect muscle injury or distractive lesion is often caused by overstretching through abrupt contractions or sudden jerk movements or passive stretching of the muscle. From that, Tony deduced that this injury could have just as well happened in the first minute of the first match of the season. Similarly, Deke said maybe he just sneezed the wrong way. I get that, but I don't think that contradicts what I'm suggesting. I'm not saying that overexertion directly caused the injury or that in isolation it was the only cause. What I'm saying is that it might have contributed to the injury. That article from Tutto Mercato Web, which by the way didn't say where that diagnosis came from, did not specify that overexertion did not also play a role. In any event, it sounds like it's a fairly minor injury. The recovery time is estimated to be 2-3 to three weeks, so we could see Victor back as soon as the first leg against Milan in the Champions League, and if not, we should definitely see him back for the second leg. In the meantime, Simeone will play in the number 9. I think Cholito is even hungrier than he was before. This is a guy who's been biding his time all year long, and he's been a great teammate throughout. He hasn't complained at all about the lack of playing time. He's often one of the first guys running down the sideline to celebrate when we score a goal. And crucially, he's been pretty clutch when he's been given the opportunity to play. He has 8 goals in 591 minutes in all competitions, which is about a goal every 74 minutes, and he seems to score only really important goals. Four of the eight goals were in the group stage of the Champions League. He scored the late match winner against Milan in the first meeting at the San Siro. That was the flicked header into the bottom corner on a perfect cross from Mario Rui. Again, that's why I have Mario Rui starting. He scored the match winner against Cremonese two rounds later. On paper, you might not think that was an important goal because we ended up winning 4-1, but the game was tied 1-1 when he scored, and we didn't add the third and fourth goals until stoppage time. He scored another brilliant late winner against Roma, that was the shot with his left after he turned at the edge of the area, and he scored the goal to put us ahead 2-1 over Cremonese in the Coppa Italia. Unfortunately, 
We conceded the late equalizer in that one, and we ended up losing in the penalty shootout. So Simeone is ready to go, and he might be even hungrier after this specific international break. I complained back in December that he should have been called up to the Argentina national team, who then went on to win the World Cup. Instead, Joaquin Correa, who spent most of the last few seasons on the recovery table and contributed very little in terms of goals and minutes played, is a world champion. Then we had this most recent international break where Simeone was a late call-up. He wasn't even on the original graphic Argentina posted for the call-ups. They had to post a separate graphic just for Simeone later. Now, I get that this was Argentina's first time returning home after winning the World Cup, so Scaloni was showcasing the players who won the tournament, but you're telling me that Simeone can't even get a single minute of playing time in two friendly matches, first against Panama, and then against Curaçao. The Panama game, I understand, it only finished 2-0, but Argentina beat Curaçao 7-0, and remember, you can make as many changes as you like in friendly matches. I guarantee you, Simeone would have scored the sitter that Lautaro missed in that match with an open net from only two feet away. Instead, Messi is walking around for 90 minutes so he can pad his goal-scoring stats against a weak opponent. And I get it, he's the GOAT, he can basically do whatever he wants, but I hope all of this just makes Simeone even hungrier returning to Napoli and now heading into this match. Optopalo was quick to point out that in the 7 matches that Osiman has not played in this season, Napoli have a perfect record of 7 wins, no draws, and no losses, including that first meeting with Milan. My second key to the match is another individual, and that is Rafael Leao. Now, this one might be more of a key for Milan than it is for Napoli. I don't think it's a coincidence that Milan's decline in results have coincided with Leao's decline in form. Now, Leao didn't play against us earlier in the season. He picked up two yellow cards against Sampdoria in the prior match, so he was suspended against us. That was when Leao was still in form, so that actually made Milan's performance in that first meeting even more impressive. Mind you, we also played that match without Victor, so I'd like to think that balanced the scales a little bit. Curiously, Osiman hasn't actually played Milan that often since he joined Napoli. Shout out to Azzurri fan Phil for pointing this one out. Since Osiman joined Napoli, we've played Milan five times, and Osiman has only featured in two of those matches. In 2020-21, Victor missed the first match due to the shoulder injury he suffered playing for Nigeria. He played in the return leg, which we won 1-0. Then in Milan's Scudetto winning campaign, he missed the first meeting due to his face injury. He played in the return leg, which Milan won 1-0. And then finally, he missed the first meeting this season, which I mentioned earlier we won 2-1. So with Victor in the squad, we have one win and one loss against Milan, and without him, we have two wins and one loss, which is actually not that bad. Amazingly, this will be the first match since Osimen joined Napoli that only one of Leao and Osimen will play in this fixture. It just so happened that whenever one of them has been out, so has the other. When Osimen had his shoulder injury, Leao had a thigh injury. When Osiman had his face injury, Leao had another thigh injury. And as I said, when Osiman had his thigh injury, Leao was suspended. Now, Leao has been in really poor form for a little while now. He hasn't scored a single goal in any competition in his last 11 matches. 
and perhaps even more concerning than the lack of goals, is just his general attitude over that period, at least judging by his body language. He looks like a player who is very disinterested, even when Milan seemed to have sorted themselves out and eliminated Tottenham from the Champions League, Leao just did not seem that into it. At this point, if I'm Milan, I'm looking to move him on in the summer. Milan have let a bunch of their star players walk away for free over the past few seasons, and I don't think they will want the same thing to happen with Leao. He also owes his former club Sporting about 20 million euros, and I think he'll be looking for someone to pick up the tab on his behalf. Now, we know Milan are capable of winning this match regardless of how Leao plays. They very nearly got a draw against us without Leao, but obviously their chances are much improved if he plays well. Leao typically plays more on the left side, which brings me to my final key to the match. That is, we will need to win the tactical battles. If I'm right about Pioli sticking with a back three, then we could have some problematic matches and numerical disadvantages. I mentioned earlier that by playing with wingbacks, Milan will be better able to double team a player like Cavada by dropping Salamakers to help defend. That's pretty much what Inter did to stop us, and it was very effective. That match was also immediately after an international break, though it was at the Meazza, not at the Maradona. Now, we had 16 players away on international duty, so we didn't have a ton of time to prepare for this match, but that cannot be used as an excuse, because Milan had plenty of players away on international duty as well. Now, just as those wingbacks will give Milan numerical advantages at the back, they will also do the same in the attack. I mentioned that Leao plays on the left. The other Milan player that lines up on the left is Teo Hernandez, and we know how much he loves to bomb forward. He got forward plenty when he was playing as a fullback, so you can be sure he will get forward playing as a wingback. Teo didn't quite look himself after returning from the World Cup. Of course, France made it all the way to the final where they lost to Argentina, but he has since returned to peak form. That's going to be a very difficult matchup for Rachmani and Di Lorenzo to mark Leao and Teo, so we're going to need our right winger, whether it's Politano or Lozano, to track back and help defend, which they're both very willing to do. Zambo will also have to provide some defensive support there, while Lobotka defends the middle of the park. Hopefully we can force Milan to play more on the right side of the pitch, because even though Brahim Diaz and Salamakers have both looked better of late, the right wing remains Milan's weakest position, but even there, we'll still need our wingers and our midfielders to help defend. Kim will be occupied with Giroud most of the time, so Mario Rui and Cavada will have to defend Brahim and Salamakers with the help of Zielinski. With all of these matchup battles happening, I think position on the park is going to be very important. Of course, we'll want to pin Milan in their half, and they'll want to do the same thing to us, Without having Osimen as an outlet, I think it will be even more important for us to press high and counter-press so that we can win the ball back in the Milan half and start out with a better position on the pitch. Now for my prediction, I am going to go with a 2-2 draw. I'll give the Napoli goals to Chucky Lozano and Kvaraschelia, and I'll give the Milan goals to Teo Hernandez and Olivier Giroud, who seems to always score in the big moments. 
I'm going a little bit against the trend by picking a draw as none of the last five meetings between these two sides actually resulted in a draw. However, both matches in the 2019-20 season resulted in a draw and that was the last time that Leal played against Napoli without Osimhen playing. Of course, Osimhen wasn't even at Napoli at the time. Those are fun trends, but to be honest, they're not the reason why I'm picking a draw. I think Milan's strength in attack will be offset by the advantage Napoli have from playing at the Maradona. Now, the Maradona might be a little bit quieter than it normally is. One of the Curve put out a statement that they will not chant during the 90 minutes of the match as a protest against the ticket prices which have been dramatically increased by the club. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about this subject. Now, I won't spend too much time on the subject here. I'm hoping to do an episode on ultra culture in Napoli during the offseason, and I think that's a big part of all of this. But there are two basic ways that you can look at this. On the one hand, it's simple economics. There's a limited supply of tickets available for every match. Demand is extremely high, including from a lot of people who are flying into the city to watch these matches. So naturally, just like any other sporting event, the price of the tickets are going to go up. That is a basic economic law in every industry. So if you look at it from a pure business standpoint, the Laurentiis is simply maximizing profit. Those additional funds might also allow the club to give players like Kim, Kavara, and Osimhen higher wages as part of contract extensions, which is also something that the fans want. However, there is also a moral angle to this, that is, you can question whether this is fair. Is this the right thing to do, particularly to the local fans? Many of the same fans who filled the Maradona when the club was in Sedici simply cannot afford to attend the Milan matches both in the league and in the Champions League. I don't think it's a big secret that the Laurentiis is trying to drive away the ultras and create a more family-friendly environment, which I personally don't have a problem with. Some people would disagree with me on that, but again, we can delve deeper into the subject in the summer. The irony is, at these ticket prices, the average family can't afford to attend the match. We're probably talking about 500 euros for a family of four to sit in the Distinti. Mind you, not all matches will be priced like this. Prices have just about tripled because we're on the verge of winning the Scudetto and we're favored to reach the final of the Champions League. Anyhow, like I said, we'll revisit that subject when we have a bit more time. I just wanted to mention it here since that was a hot topic for conversation this week. That is where I will leave it. I hope everyone enjoys the match. Likewise, I hope you enjoyed this preview. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash pod. It's entirely free, there are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at forzanapolipress.com. I will be back in a few days to review this match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network.